0: Last week, we started a two week message series on parenting, and I'm calling this series Recharge Your Parenting. So, last week, we started this series by highlighting uh, a single verse in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And this verse really is the key verse. For our series, and if you were here last week, you'll know that we're going elsewhere in Scripture. Um, But like a lot of the Proverbs, they are able to stand on their own just because of how Proverbs was written. Um, So this verse in the NIV, it says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So, last week I surveyed the room and just asked who has heard this verse before. And I would say 90% of the hands went up. You know, this tends to be a very well known verse, but it's also a very misunderstood and often misinterpreted verse as it relates to parenting. So, the way that I've heard it taught many times in the past, either from another pastor or in a book that I've read or many books, I'll hear it taught this way that if you train your children in the Lord, if you bring them to church consistently, you get them plugged into the children's ministry, the youth ministry, uh, you help them, uh, you know, serve and use their gifts in the the church, then when they're older, they're not going to turn away from their faith. They're going to continue to follow uh, the Lord. And while these things are good, and we, we all agree we should do these things as parents, we should get our kids involved, I believe worshiping with your church family should be a consistent thing. Again, this verse is often taught as a promise to parents that if we do these things, our children will always follow the Lord. And I shared last week how I believe this verse was really never meant to be a promise. Instead, it's written more as a prescription, that Proverbs 22.6 is a prescription for how to train and raise our children. So I want to challenge our church again this week to think about this verse as a prescription instead of reading it as a promise. So the key words in this verse that help us understand its meaning, that help us understand this prescription, are the are three words. They're the words, they should go. So you train up a child, you raise a child in the way they should go. Those are the three words that help us understand this. Because in the original Hebrew text, what the Old Testament was written in, this phrase, they should go, is best translated as his way or according to their bent so we could really reread this verse, I, th- I believe, the way it was meant to be read. And that is, start children off according to their bent. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So according to their bent, this means according to the way God has has made them, has, has wired them. According to their unique personality and according to their individual passions in life. Now, many of you know that this is my first time Uh, serving in this kind of role serving as the senior minister in in any church and i'll be honest i hope it's my last you know faith and i love this church so much Um, i would love to be that you know 65 year old guy that i'm here at 65 and you're ready to kick me out the door all right my time is done i've told the elders from the start that i want to be able to hand the baton off someday and with god's grace that that will happen and i just hope it does so before this I was able to serve as a youth minister for four years, and that was in McAllister, Oklahoma. And then uh, God brought us to Indiana, where I served for three years as a family pastor. And then from there, we moved to Oklahoma City, and I served as a young adult pastor for two years. And something that's been consistent in every single church that I've been in, in every role that I've been in, has been the number of parents and families that I've either talked to personally or heard in passing who have been heartbroken Because their children were once active in the church, their children were raised in the church, and now they're off doing their own thing, and they really don't want anything to do with God. That's been consistent in every single church that I've been in. I've heard from so many parents who are a little bit confused because they remember hearing verses like this one on how to raise their children. And now they're seeing something completely different in the lives of their kids. And again, many of these parents were so consistent in bringing their children to church, so consistent in getting them involved in ministry, helping them serve and to use their gifts. And now their kids are just kind of running wild, you know, like the story of the prodigal son that we read last week. I want to take a little detour this morning before we get back on the main road. And that is this, that first, we do have to remember that this verse says, when they're old. I think sometimes we forget that, right? It does say when they're old. It doesn't say when they go off to college. It doesn't say when they have kids of their own or even when they're middle age. It says when they're old. And I do believe that God is able to help any person change the course of their life. We just have to remember it's not always in our timeline. Amen? It's not always when we think that it should be. And I shared last week, you know, if you're still breathing today, if your kids are still breathing, then God is not done with your life, and he's not done with your kids' lives. In fact, this verse in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is a promise, and we can claim this as a promise in our lives. Philippians 1 6 says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue to work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Scripture is consistent in teaching that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And God is able to do far more than we can ask or even imagine. That's what the scripture tells us. So this morning, if your child has walked away from the faith, I want to encourage you not to give up. I want to encourage you to keep praying. Keep claiming the promise that God is not done with them. Amen? All right, so that's our detour. Now we're going to get back on the road, and we're going to focus back on Proverbs 22, verse 6. And as we do, we have to remember what this verse is saying. Again, in the NIV and many other translations that we have, it says, start them off in the way they should go. But in the original Hebrew language, it means start them off according to their bent. You see, every single person here this morning is bent in a, in a certain way, in a particular way. We, we all have unique passions we all have unique gifts and personalities. I mean as I look around the room this morning, I can't help but be reminded about how creative our God really is. He, he's so creative and sometimes he's funny in the way he creates people, but he's still he's still creative. So just at this moment, just take take a second and look around the room. Look down the aisles. Come on guys, look look around the aisles. Just look at the people who are around you. Don't don't do it in a creepy kind of way. Just just kind, of, you know, a quick kind of glance, you know, get get a good feel for who's around you this morning, you're going to notice that, that nobody, nobody really looks alike. All right, We share similarities, but nobody really looks alike. No, nobody here is going to share the exact same set of gifts and talents. Uh, no one shares the same personality. I mean, we're, we're all bent in, in a particular way, in a certain way, in the way God's made us, and I'm thankful for that. Are you thankful for that this morning? I'm thankful for that. I'm, th- I'm so thankful that we're not all the same. So a little review from last week, you'll notice in your bulletin that uh, the first two points from last week are already filled in, and that's because last week and this week is one sermon done in two parts. So I thought we'd do just a very short review this morning, and then that way you're going to have the entire message in one set of bulletin notes today. So uh, the first thing from last week, you know, because we're all created with this unique bent, as parents, uh, we should accept our child's uniqueness. I truly believe that. We should get to know our children, and we should accept our child's uniqueness. You know, a lot of times, we unknowingly say this to our kids, either verbally or with our actions as we're raising them. We'll, we'll, we'll say things like, you know, God loves you so much, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. We, we say things like that, and they catch on to that. So as parents who love their kids so much, who have good intentions, we unknowingly push our kids to do what we want them to do. In life, to be who we want them to be. I think about sports, you know, uh, maybe being pushed uh, growing up to do a sport that it's just not really your bent. And again, we talked last week how there's some good in that. You can grow a lot as an individual doing sports and things like that that your parents want you to do. But, you know, pushing them to consistently do the things that you want them to do, that might May or may not be who they are. I think about them going to the college of of, of, your, of our choice rather than, than their choice, or working the job that we want them to work, or maybe marrying the person that, that only we approve of as parents. You know that, that would be unknowingly or knowingly p- pushing them to do what we want them to do. And again, we have to remember this may or may not be who our kids are. This may or may not be how they're they're bent. See, our kids are unique, and we have to get to know our kids for who they are. We have to help them grow as individuals, the the people that God has made them to be. I shared last week, um, there is a a saying that my pastor and mentor says when it comes to parenting, and I absolutely love this. Um, If we could write it on the wall, we probably would, but I don't let my kids write on the wall, so I'm not going to do that either. But um, my pastor, Pastor Paul, he says that children are not clay to be molded uh, by us. But instead, human beings to be unfolded by God. And I, I love this because, number one, I believe it's rooted in Scripture. And I think, too, I get this wrong a lot of the times. I, I think that my children are the clay to be molded by me, and, and maybe God gets a little role in that. But really, it should be the opposite. It should be that our, our children are, are clay to be molded by God. The human beings to be unfolded by God. And as parents, you, you want to know what our role is, uh, scripturally? is to raise our children up so that we can send them out. We're called to raise our children up to send them out. That's, uh, that's our role. And uh, so the second thing we talked about last week is that we should affirm their value. We should affirm our children's value, and we should do that apart from performance. All of our children, they've been created with uh, unique characteristics and unique qualities, and these characteristics and qualities, they're always going to be there regardless of if they make the grades in school, regardless of if they make the, uh, the varsity team at school regardless of where they go to college or who they end up marrying, these, these characteristics and qualities, the way we're, we're naturally bent, those are always going to be there. So we should remind our kids about these characteristics. We should remind them about these qualities apart from their performance because that's how God values us. So I, I take a step back and I think about my kids individually. If, if they're loving towards others, man, what an opportunity to remind them about that quality. If they're good at building something and, and, and thinking and using their mind, what, what an awesome opportunity to remind them about the, that characteristic and, and quality. If they're hardworking and creative, Zach, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on you just for a second this morning. I have never seen a 15-year-old work as hard as you did on this trip that we went on. And I don't mean to embarrass you or anything this morning, but I'm, I'm serious. I've seen some hardworking kids doing youth ministry and things like that. Zach worked harder than any 15-year-old I've ever seen in my life. And as a church, man, we should affirm that in him that this is a kid that is being raised the right way. All right? He is being raised the right way and he is a hard worker. I mean, what an awesome thing. So we look for those God given characteristics and qualities in the lives of our kids and we remind them about them often. We affirm their value apart from performance. Is it okay to affirm when they do good in things? Absolutely, and we should. But remember, God affirms our value apart and aside from performance. So the, the third thing that we're going to talk about today, if you're taking notes, and this is the really the first main point for today, is this, is that as parents, um, we should trust our children with responsibility. We should trust our children with responsibility. I'm reminded of a parable in Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 10. It says, if you're faithful in the little things, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. Now, obviously, that verse is part of a greater parable, and I would encourage you to go read that. But, but as parents, we, we should learn to trust our children with more and more responsibility because that's what God does with us. Again, we're, we're, we're parenting the way God would be a father to us. I don't know if you've caught on to that so far, but we're learning from the characteristics and, and qualities of our Heavenly Father. So as parents, we should learn to trust our children with more and more responsibility because that's what God does with us. Again, I think back to my first uh, full-time youth ministry. The first time that God uh, gave my wife and I this role uh, together, he gave us the responsibility of leading a youth group, something I had never done before. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. Doing something new, and we can all relate to this, I was so nervous. I was so scared to step in to this kind of a role. But over time, as we grew in consistency, as we allowed God to um, help us remain faithful in this role, God brought more students into our lives. He brought more volunteers into our lives, and the youth ministry began to grow. We were planting, and and we could see a harvest after a while. See, the responsibilities grew, and, and in turn, so did the role. And eventually, I, I transitioned from youth ministry to family ministry, and then family ministry to young adult ministry, and then eventually to senior ministry. And I'll be honest; even after a year here, I feel completely inadequate for a role like this. But I'm I'm thankful for your patience. You know, I'm thankful for God's grace. Faith and I, we made some mistakes along the way, um, mainly myself. She's kind of perfect in my eyes, but <laughs> I I made a lot of mistakes. But the parable that Jesus taught in Luke 16 is true in all of our lives. This, again, this is a relationship principle. And it's proven to be true in my own life. It's that if you're faithful in the little things, you're going to be faithful in the larger ones. If you're not faithful in the smaller things, God's not going to give you more resources. He's not going to give you more responsibility. You have to be faithful in the little things first. You know, when we use the resources that God has given us for his glory— And when we handle responsibility consistently and faithfully, as Luke 16 talks about, God's going to give us more resources and responsibility to work with. So the question is, how does this translate or relate to parenting or grandparenting or or relationships? Well, I think it's no secret at this point, but my kids are the weird homeschool kids. That's That's just who they are. And we have to find, because of that, we have to find unique ways right, to help them grow and give them more and more responsibility over time, uh, when the time is right. So one thing that my wife has recently started in our home, this may or may not work for you. Again, our kids are homeschooled, so we have to get creative. But my, one thing that my wife started doing recently is called a team captain of the day. So Every, every day, Monday through Thursday, one of our kids is given um, the privilege and the responsibility and the opportunity to be the team captain for the day. Now, if you're the team captain, here's what this looks like. Um, there, again, it's a privilege, so there's a lot of excitement behind this. In the morning, you get to pray before uh, meals, so breakfast, lunch, and even dinner. Um, but you also help clean off the table um, when you're done. Um, you get to ring what we call the five-minute bell before school starts. That is a hit in our house, all right? Whoever gets to ring the bell, you have a lot of power with that bell. And uh, you could choose to delay it if you want. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you could, there's a lot of power. She says no. She's the boss. So, um, but then also you help the teacher, who's my beautiful wife, uh, get supplies ready for the day. And then you're also the last one to leave the room. You help clean up any messes that were made. So it is a servant leadership kind of a a responsibility. And there's, again, a lot of privilege and responsibility that goes with that. But when it comes to trusting my kids with more responsibility, here's something that I see in my own life, and I hope this relates to you a little bit this morning. Um, I personally hate to see my kids struggle. Think about that for a second. Maybe maybe that relates to you. I, I hate to see my kids struggle. I I do. I hate to see him struggle, and I hate to see him fulfill a responsibility uh, differently than I would do it myself, and maybe that's a little bit of the OCD in me, all right? You ask your kids to do something, and then you're kind of watching with, like, eagle eyes to make sure they do it right, so I hate to see him struggle, and I hate to see him do something differently than, than I would have done it, and if you're anything like me, here's what happens. You equate struggling with suffering. If my kids are struggling, that must mean they're suffering. And then you equate fulfilling a responsibility differently than you would normally do it as failing. You equate it as failing. So you equate struggling with suffering and doing something differently than you would as failing. But here's something that I'm slowly learning the longer I'm a parent. And I'm thankful that I have so many older families in my life to hand some of this wisdom down. Here's what I'm learning. Is it not through the struggles and failures in our lives that we learn some of the biggest life lessons? You can nod this morning. That's, that's true. Is it not through some of the, our struggles and failures in life that we learn some of the biggest life lessons? So when my kids are struggling or fulfilling a responsibility differently than I would, my tendency is to step in and either stop the struggling. I want, I want to put an end to it because I don't want them to be uncomfortable. Or correct the way that they're fulfilling a responsibility. I probably do that one more. I think my wife probably steps in and stops the struggle. I probably, more, more times than not, step in and correct them in, in the wrong kind of way, as opposed to allowing them to fail. But if some of biggest life lessons are learned through our struggles and failures, you know, why do we see the need to step in and stop our kids from struggling and failing? I mean, according to God's word, struggling is what builds character, and failure is not fatal, Let me say that again this morning. According to God's word, struggling is what builds character, and failure is not fatal. I think this is the message that some of us need to hear today, maybe as grandparents or or parents, or even in our own lives. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So there's this progression here as we struggle, and the life lesson that God has in store for us. You know, when we think back to first century Christians, we go all the way back to the early church, um, struggling, and their life was the rule. It was not the exception. And we've kind of flipped that in our churches today, that if we're struggling, something must be wrong. But could it be That God wants us to struggle? Could it be that God wants us to fail at times? Because again, that helps develop character. And that character is what points us to our hope and assurance of salvation in Christ. It shows us our, our, our reliance on Him. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God has a plan for our lives, even in the midst of our struggles. You could even say that there's purpose in the pain, there's purpose in our struggles. But until we meet Jesus face to face, and until we're with God for eternity, um, we're called to overcome. We're called to overcome these struggles daily, we're going to experience struggles and challenges that are actually meant to help us grow. Romans Romans 5 tells us that we can rejoice. We can actually be be joyful and glad in our struggles and challenges, not because we like the pain. Paul is not talking to the church or, or to Gentile Christians and saying, you should rejoice in this because we like the pain. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we can rejoice, not because we like the pain, but because we know that God is using all of life's struggles and all of life's challenges to develop our character. Amen? So if we want our kids to grow into the people that God has created them to be, according to their bent, could it be that we need to allow them to struggle and fail? See, struggles problems and trials, they develop endurance, which in turn develops strength of character. And as we build character, as we grow into the people that God has called us to be, we're reminded more and more about what God has done on our behalf. Because in our lives, when we're struggling, we, we recognize our need for God. We recognize how we need him, not just in the good times or some of the bad, but how we need him daily in our lives. You know, I've been guilty of this with my boys numerous times. Again, I think my wife probably maybe more airs on the side of, of stepping in when they're struggling. Um, I step in when they're not doing something how I would have liked them to do it. But I allow my boys to, to, to not struggle when doing chores or step in and try to do it for them. And this has really set, set my relationship with them back a little bit in different seasons. And I think it's really affected the growth of our family over time. Because as mom and dad, you know, faith had a a more difficult upbringing than I had. I had a lot of things that, everything I needed in life and more. And here's what I I think families do. They say, you know, I had it hard as a kid, so I don't want my kids to have that. Right? But do you really want that? I mean, do you really want your kids to go through life not learning how to struggle through things and fail through things so that they can learn a very valuable life lesson? I would say that you are the way you are today largely because you had to go through and struggle through things. So I'm guilty of that with my own kids. And and I will say this, it's okay to correct and train our children. That's going to be what we, we close this series off with here in just a moment. But there's a difference between correcting and training and just flat out not allowing our kids to struggle and fail. I mean, think back to the story of the prodigal son from last week. Here's a different angle on this, this, this uh, parable that until this week, I've really never given a thought about. And that is this, that in the story of the prodigal son, when the younger son approached the dad about leaving, remember about taking his inheritance early, The dad listened to his younger son's request and he let him go. He let him go. He he allowed him to go out on his own, knowing, I I think knowing for well what what was going to happen. You know, did the dad want him to go? Absolutely not. I don't believe for a second the dad wanted him to go. In fact, you see when the kid comes home, the dad's standing there with, with arms wide open. But he let him go. And after his son was able to struggle, and after his son was able to fail on his own, he learned some important life lessons, and then he came back to the Father. See, it's often through our struggles and failures that we finally come to our senses in life. The younger son woke up one morning, and Scripture says he woke up in a pile of pig poop. This is his situation. And God's Word reminds us that he came to his senses. He had finally had enough and he came back to the father. He realized that he had messed up and that he needed to go home. The prodigal son story, it reminds me of another few verses, a very familiar verse this first one, Romans 3 uh, verse 23, but then I also want to read 24 because I think we forget this sometimes. It says for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And that's where we usually end it, but listen to verse 24. Yet God in his grace Freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. See, church family, it's because of our struggles. It's because of our failure in sin that we can never be our own savior. We can never be our own savior. We can never be good enough. We can never follow all of the rules. But our struggles, our failure in sin, often lead us To the one who can save us. Because he alone can rescue. He can rescue us when no one else can. Mom and dad can't. Brother and sister can't. Only our father can. See, if we don't allow our kids to struggle and fail, if we're always there to bail them out and be a crutch for them, we're going to end up making them feel insecure and incompetent when it comes to the struggles that they're going to face in the real world throughout the rest of their lives. That's why I believe we should trust our children with responsibility when they're ready for it, as time allows. But we also allow them to struggle and even fail as they grow because we learn some of life's biggest lessons through that. The fourth and final thing, and this is what we're going to close out this series with, is this. Um, We should correct our children but we should do it without condemning. We should correct our children without condemning. God's word talks a whole lot about discipline, about boundaries and even consequences. We know that that God disciplines us as his children. If you're in Christ, you can expect discipline from God. We know that God sets up boundaries in our lives and we know that there are consequences for our choices. These are things that I I believe are closed-handed issues that we should all agree on. But it's also no different as we parent our children. I, I think of Proverbs 19, verse 18. This is the verse this week that really kind of hit me between the eyes. Let's follow along with this together. It says, Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Hmm. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. I've heard it said that where there's no correction, it will lead to corruption. Where there's no correction, it will lead to uh, corruption. You know, discipline and correction, they're going to look different as our children grow in age and stage. For example, how I discipline my two-year-old today is going to look a lot different than how I discipline my nine-year-old. How you discipline, and and we have to be careful with this word because our children, when they're 40, are are basically, you know, they're out on their own, hopefully, but... As you discipline and correct your 40-year-old, it's going to look a lot different than how you disciplined and corrected them when they were four. It's just going to be different. You're going to get a little bit different reaction from your kids when they're 40 than when they're four. Amen? See, God disciplines and corrects us. It's, it's part of him being a loving father. And When God disciplines and corrects us, it reminds us of his great love. And when we discipline and correct our children, again, different at every age and stage, it shows them that we love them. It demonstrates our love for them. Hebrews chapter 12, verses five and six, it says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? So these are meant to be encouraging words. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. That's part of that failure isn't fatal point. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So there's there's a rhetorical question that I've seen throughout a few books that's always asked to the church when these verses are read. And it's rhetorical because there's no response needed. I think we all know the answer to this question. Here's the question. Who loves their child more? The parent who allows their children to do what will harm them or the parents who correct, train, and discipline their children to help them do what? What is right? Who is demonstrating the greater love? Nobody in this room likes to be corrected. I don't know anybody who says, I just love to be corrected. Correct me. Well, I know one person. I'm not going to call him out this week because I called him out last week. But I know one person lately. He's just like, just tell me where I'm wrong. (laughs) I think we probably know who that is. (laughs) Oh, man, I have fun. Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to receive discipline. But every person here would agree that correction and discipline, when it's done right, it helps us grow. It's needed in life. See, when, when, when God corrects us, when God disciplines us, again, it's evidence of his great love. And when we correct our children without condemning, and when we discipline with the goal of discipleship in mind, we're demonstrating our love for our kids. So in closing, this question has to be asked. How, how can we correct without condemning? This will be the application for this question. How do we correct our children without condemning? I think Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 gives us the answer to this question. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So we learn from God, as a perfect father, how to parent our children. So the first thing out of two, and this is what we'll use in closing. When we correct out of anger, it leads to danger. When we correct out of anger, it leads to danger. That's not original. Use it however you want. But when we correct out of anger, it leads to danger. You know, it's so easy to see our kids mess up and then respond from a place of anger instead of first thinking and praying about how we're going to respond. I'm so guilty of this. We've talked about this in the past, so this should still be pretty fresh, but we've said that, you know, when we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak, even when it comes to disciplining our children, so when we're quick to listen and slow to speak, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us before we speak to others. Man, what an amazing truth. When we're quick to listen and slow to speak, we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to speak to us before we speak to others. And this is true in all of our relationships, but especially when it comes to disciplining and correcting our children. So instead of responding out of anger, which is so easy to do, instead of responding just from a place of human emotion, which is so easy to do, first pray. If you have this ability in your home, talk with your spouse about it. You know, Faith and I, we hand off uh, the, the disciplining and correcting role because if I'm too angry, I can't respond unless it's in anger. I need time to cool down. So sometimes I'll hand it off to her. She'll hand it off to me. Not everybody has that luxury. So pray about these things. Uh, sometimes, and we talk about this in premarital counseling when it comes to fighting fair with your spouse it 's okay to take five or ten minutes apart and come back to the issue just don 't give it too long you don 't allow the sun to go down on your anger you know it 's okay to take that break if you know that you 're going to respond in anger, just take that five or ten minutes. you need to go to your room. I need to go to mine. We need to separate until we can come back and we can figure this thing out right because just as what they did might have been wrong, you responding in anger. Is also sin in the wrong kind of anger. So I've learned this the hard way, you know, and I've learned that it's difficult to go back on things that we say when we say them out of anger. Number two, this is the last thing be willing to apologize to your children. Be willing to apologize to your children. As parents, um, we don't always get it right. Believe it or not, we're not perfect. There's not a perfect parent in this room today. And if you do respond from a place of um, ungodly anger or you take discipline and correcting a little bit too far, be willing to apologize and ask your kids for forgiveness. Be willing to admit that you were wrong and, and explain to them what you did and why it was wrong. And then watch God at work in your life. Allow your kids to see God at work in your life. I believe that as parents, we're called to correct our children, absolutely, but we should do it without condemning. So how can we recharge our parenting this season? You know, school starts next week for most people, unless you're homeschooled like my kids, and then, you know, it's different. School starts next week. How can we recharge our parenting this season? Well, we start in God's word, and we start with prayer, and we take those Uh, those truths that come straight from God's word that you see on your bulletin, and we just begin to pray about those things. We ask God to start working in our homes to move in a new way this season.